Support for this podcast comes from Synchrony Financial. Allow homeowners to pay at a rate that fits their budget with the merchant fee that fits yours. Visit www.toolbox.mysynchrony.com for more information. Hello there, SGI family listening. As a quick reminder, your next expo is only about a month away. We'll be in incredible San Antonio, Texas, right on the Riverwalk, April 7th through 9th. We have over 50 sessions of content. We have over 700 people registered to attend already, which means we'll definitely surpass that 1,000 person mark. And we want to see you there too. I don't have to tell you, networking with other members, trading information, learning from one another is one of the big benefits of your SGI membership. And while in San Antonio, you'll have the opportunity to speak with today's guest, Mark Patton, about setting up a 401k plan for your team. SGI is the first organization in the best practices space to be able to offer 401ks to our member contractors. And if you have just five employees, you can take advantage of it and offer a plan to your team. And in doing so, you'll differentiate yourself from the other contractors in your market. So with that, let's get to the show, but I look forward to seeing you in San Antonio. Start with the savings goal first and define what that is. And for somebody who's, you know, 45 or 50 years old, they're going to work for another 15 or 20 years. You know, a good rule of thumb is that you want to be saving somewhere between 10 to 15% of your income. And if you can get to the point where you're saving 10 to 15%, and 10 typically works, but if you're older and you haven't saved anything, you might need to be saving 15% because you need you have some catching up to do. But you know, the typical person working for a, a full career, if they can save 10% of their income over time, uh, that most often, everybody's circumstances are different, but that most often will put people on a path to success. So if they can save roughly 10% of their income, if they can invest that in a reasonable way, which is a different question or conversation, yeah. um, saving 10% of your income really is a great, simple rule of thumb. If people can get there, most everybody is going to end up on a successful path to retirement. Yeah. I, I think and, 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 and by the way, Bob, just to throw it out there, sure. you know, uh, Kevin's idea of the tool belt millionaire, mm-hmm. um, uh, we've done the calculations around that to see what it takes uh, somebody to, to become a millionaire, um, you know, m- making a, making a you know, modest income over time. And it doesn't take more than ten percent of your ten percent of your income to get there. Yeah. So it's really a fairly um, a fairly modest, you know, set of goals that can result in a very substantial, you know, outcome. I mean, becoming a millionaire. Welcome to the Successful Contractor Podcast, powered by Success Group International, a show for residential contractors about residential contractors. We chronicle business journeys share insights, and celebrate successes in this wonderful industry. I'm your host, Bob Houchin. Hey there, podcast listeners. Today's show is a little bit different than much of the content we deliver. Rather than talking to a successful contractor or talking with a business expert, I'm going to talk with Mark Patton of Patton Wealth Management about a topic that impacts everyone listening, and that's personal financial management. In particular, we're going to talk about the concept of about how you, yes, you listening, can become a tool belt millionaire. Managing your money has become a concept foreign to most Americans. As the statistics show, most people don't have enough cash in the bank to pay a simple repair bill. And if you don't have enough money to handle a repair bill, that means you likely aren't doing what's necessary to eventually retire. So today with Mark, we'll talk about how simple it can be to retire and retire with wealth. There are some practical steps you can take right now 
no matter how old you are, to get moving towards becoming a millionaire. So please, I know we have many sophisticated contractors listening to this podcast, but you likely have some young people on your team who don't understand these basic concepts we're going to talk about today. So even if you know them, please, if you would, pass this specific episode to them so they can benefit. I think it's a crime for anyone in our contracting industry to work so hard for 30 years, 40 years, and not have enough to retire comfortably. So please, again, if you can pass this along to someone that would benefit, that would be great. So with that, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mark and take away another two. Well, Mark, thank you so very, very much uh, for joining me today. Uh, for those that are tuning in, listening to this, could you please uh, share with them uh, your name uh, and who you're with? Bob, number one, thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I'm Mark Patton. I'm president of Patton Fund Management, Inc. Uh, we're an investment advisory firm. Uh, we provide you know, services to individual investors, uh, investment advice and financial planning. And we also provide advice to companies regarding their retirement plans, their 401k plans. Very good, very good. And we've got lots to talk about in terms of retirement and personal finance. I'm very excited to, uh, to talk about that because it's something I'm passionate about. But before we we dig in, I always think it's it's good for people to understand uh, where the people I have on are, where they come from, what their background is. Um, so so just give me uh, kind of the uh, Reader's Digest version. How did you get into this industry? Um. Bob, I, I have to admit that I'm, I'm a self-proclaimed investment geek. Um, I just love this stuff. Um, it is so fun for me. I'm one of those guys who I get out of bed every morning and just absolutely love what I do. So I got in the business um, um, back in 1992, so it's been nearly 30 years. Um, I was right out of school, just got married, um, had a job at that point, but quit my job and, um, and decided to start my own business. Uh, so I was really chasing a passion of mine, and it was initially about research and uh, providing investment advice to folks. And, you know, that broadened out over the course of time. And, uh, you know, we got into the 401k or the retirement plan business a little over a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Um we started providing comprehensive financial planning. So when people start to get into more complex circumstances, uh, we started to get into that several years ago as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really just been me chasing a dream. You know, back in, back in, I mean, literally in junior high school, my mom will tell the story that I was reading the Wall Street Journal back then. <laughs> um, so it's, <laughs> I mean, so it's a, it's a little bit of a bizarre story. And, um, uh, but it, it's, 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 it's again, a passion, uh, that I've been chasing kind of all my life and it certainly has its ups and downs like everything else, sure. but I enjoy everything about it and feel like we've you know kind of learned how to bring value to other people and talk in a way that hopefully they can understand. That's exciting. I, yeah. I think if you're reading the wall street journal as a kid, you're probably in the right space. So that's good. <laughs> Well, I'm not um, sure my head was exactly right, but I was enjoying it. Hey, that's all right. That's okay. That's okay. Um, so <laughs> you work with, with SGI administering our own 401k, and, and now you've begun to work with our, our members uh, providing their, their companies with, with 401k plans. So before we get into the details of today's podcast, which, uh, like I said, we're talking about some personal finance, some investing, stuff like that, please, if you could just kind of take a minute to talk about what you've made available to our SGI members and, and why has that all of a sudden become available? What's happened uh, with our government these days? 
it is uh, something that I'm really excited about because it's a way to bring um, uh, great service and great advice to a lot of people who really need it. So back in uh, late 2019, uh, there was an act that was passed. It was called the SECURE Act, S-E-C-U-R-E. It's an acronym, and it's about helping um, helping folks uh, get on a more successful path to retirement ultimately. Right. And there were several things that were included in this act, and one of those was allowing for what they call pooled 401k plans. Mm. And what that simply means is that multiple companies can get together, two to 2,000, you know, it, there's no limit to it. So multiple companies can get together. They, they all participate in one single 401k plan. And the benefit to the employer is that it dramatically reduces the amount of work that is involved in administering and keeping up to date and filing the reports with the government and so forth. So much of that gets eliminated, so it takes so much of the burden off the employer to be able to consolidate under one plan. And for the employees of the company, it gives them all the bells and whistles, all the features, everything that's available to a company, you know, that has um, tens of thousands of employees. Um, Those 401k plans are typically very robust because they're big companies. But now, uh, employers of any size um, can get the same bells and whistles and features for their employees, even if they've only got five employees or 10 or 15 or 20, uh, they can get all those same features because there's buying power in that in, in in the pool so it's very very exciting that is exciting i mean yeah like you said you know five employees it, that's a small company it's great that they can take advantage of it, it and it, but that represents i think m- many of the members that we have in our organization are, are, are very small businesses five to ten they're hoping to grow uh but but and, and i talked I've, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and i've talked to so many members that once they start doing well they want to provide you know, retirement options for people because it's a great attractive option to, to, to lure people over to your business, but they don't know where to begin. They don't know what to do. And so this just seems like it streams, it streamlines and it makes it much, much simpler. So yes, it's, this is really exciting. And, and, you know, because a big, a big part of it is, um, you know, Kevin Gursky, who, who obviously you've worked with and when you came over to mm-hmm. work with us, loves to use the, the, the term tool belt millionaire, right? And the, the idea that mm-hmm. all these, these great hardworking people that we, we work with, um, you know, they, they make, they, they work hard to, they make a good living, but if with, with using a 401k plan, you really can become a, a tool belt millionaire, um, if you utilize it the right way, if you take advantage of it. So again, very excited that you're part of this, um, you know, I, I, there's a book I, I sometimes will tell people because, you know, I don't want to get too political, but you hear all this idea that only, uh, you know, only a certain percentage of people can could ever aspire to become a millionaire, and, and it's just not something that's attainable. But there, again, the book I'm mm-hmm. referencing is uh, it's called Millionaire Next Door by Chris Hogan. Um, and it talks about in the book that it's a great book. Yeah, ninety percent of the millionaires in this country didn't inherit their wealth; they earned it. And and most of the time, it's it's just you know normal people like teachers, uh, you know plumbers that that had normal livings, but but they made a, a diligent effort to to save. And and that's again what I kind of wanted to talk about because um, we get lots of business owners. 
that listen to this, managers that listen to this. But for those of you that are listening to this, I, my hope is uh, once once Mark and I are done, maybe you pass it along uh, to your technicians, your salespeople, your your uh, call center folks. Let them know um, if they if they don't know much about personal finance, maybe this will be give give them a little bit of a glimpse of things that they might want to consider. Um, so, like I said, Mark, we talked. You know, I mentioned to, to become a millionaire, which seems so un, unattainable for some people. It, you know, it just requires some discipline, some saving. Um, so, but for whatever reason, it's it's something that's not really taught in school, and I, and I don't really know why that is. I I know for sure, you know, people. It's not really taught in the home that much because a lot of times the people, parents don't understand it either. Um, but it really mm-hmm. seems in the last twenty years, uh, the idea of saving is just completely eroded. And I, I don't know. I, I've I've, t- I've sort of thought is it is it because of consumer credit and how easy it is? Or, or do you have any kind of a, a thoughts on on why? You know, as a society, we just don't save as much? I don't know that I do. You know, I want to say that the concept of the millionaire uh, next door concept is so real, just so you know. I wanted to make a comment about that. Having been in the business for 30 years, uh, I've met so many people who they would walk into my office in their blue jeans and T-shirt, and you wonder whether or not they have any money to manage, and these people have you know, a million dollars or more, and they literally are the millionaire next door that you'd never expected. They're not the ones driving the fancy cars and living in the big houses. They've simply been very frugal with their money. They live within their means, so the concept is very real. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as, you know, American saving, uh, it is such a, it's such a tough subject, and I, uh, I consider myself to be fairly well-disciplined, but it's still hard to save. Sure. Um, so I think it's just, I, I think it's a, a discipline that, you know, like you said, we have not been taught. We've not been taught, you know, the benefits of doing so, and... And I think that so many, um, so many people are living kind of day to day. They're not thinking about what things look like in five years and 10 years and 20 or 30 years from now, just because they, nobody's opened their eyes to these ideas. So I think part of it, I think a big part of it is like you said, simply the lack of education. And, um, you know, some people, I guess, would argue that there's, you know, past generations have been more disciplined than you know, the younger generations. Um, I'm actually of the opinion that, you know, every generation has already always thought that about the younger generation. You know, the, so I'm not sure that that's, that's I think you know, people are probably thinking the same. Yeah. I think people are probably thinking the same thing 50 years ago. So yeah. to some degree, I think that is, uh, that is just a continual thought process from one generation to the other. So I hold, I hold great hope for the younger generation. I think that, you know, with some education, they will embrace the same concepts that you and I think the older generations have. Yeah. You know, I can remember in my college days um, how my friends and, and we would get credit cards by, you signed up and you got like a free piece of pizza and all of a sudden you got this piece of plastic that you can just run around town and go <laughs> and get a pitcher of beer and just yeah. put it on there and all of a sudden, you know, you don't realize that that comes at a, if you don't pay it off, obviously a 20 to 30% interest rate and, and all of a sudden it's a tidal wave of debt that I think a lot of people don't realize until it's in front of them. But um, to me though, the, the, first, the first step in kind of getting control of your finances, and I'd be inter- interested to hear what you say, is kind of building an, an emergency fund. There's different terms for it, but can you maybe kind of share with people what, you know, what that is and, and, and what's that meant, you know, meant for? Sure. Um, and, and, and I think that, 
even maybe one step before that, at some point you have to define your goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can talk about that. But but an emergency fund is is the is the first and foremost place that you want to have some money. And an emergency fund is simply one uh, that you saved, you know, months worth of income, maybe sixty days, maybe ninety days worth of income, mm-hmm. so that when when the unexpected happens, which the unexpected always happens, uh, you know, when you when we, when you have one of those unexpected events and you need a, a bit of money that wasn't necessarily budgeted for, you go to your emergency fund to get that, and you want that emergency fund so that your long-term goals don't get. Um, pushed to the side or get derailed because you've had a short-term emergency. And that's what, if somebody doesn't have an emergency fund, what happens is their long-term goals suffer as a result because they go take, they have to take that money from someplace. And it's usually from, you know, the place where they're saving for their retirement or something else. And so those long-term goals suffer because there's not some short-term money set aside. So having an emergency fund is just critical uh, to not only meeting those short-term needs, but honestly, to meeting your long-term goals, you need that emergency fund in place to be that buffer. I love it. And you're right. We we should talk about, and and I think that's part of the issue of why people don't think about really retirement seriously is they don't they don't think of a goal they just think of it okay if i have money i'll throw it aside you know but retirement's mm-hmm. not so far mm-hmm. away um but let's talk about it so even if say i'm a um, i'm a young person i'm well let's say i'm young let's say I'm, in, I'm you know late 40s early 50s and and i don't really even have much retirement yet maybe i've, I've worked uh, for different companies that didn't you know provide it and i just haven't thought of it because i just just haven't um what? How do I start with a goal? Like, what kind of a goal is tangible at that point in my in my life cycle? What? How, how would I, I go about defining that? I think the first thing you do is is typically when people start to sit down and write out goals around their money, uh, the first thing they think about is how much am I going to spend on these different things. Mm-hmm. And I think instead, what people need to do is they need to think about it in a different order. The first thing needs to be how much money do I need to save to meet my retirement goals. And then that will tell us how much money is left over to spend. Most people come up with their budget of their spending goals first, and they simply save what is left over. And what's left over is typically not enough. So I would say start with the savings goal first and define what that is. And for somebody who's, you know, 45 or 50 years old, they're going to work for another 15 or 20 years. You know, a good rule of thumb is that you want to be saving somewhere between 10 to 15% of your income. And if you can get to the point where you're saving 10 to 15%, and 10 typically works, but if you're older and you haven't saved anything, you might need to be saving 15% because you need you have some catching up to do. Right. But you know, the typical person working for a, a full career, if they can save 10% of their income over time, uh, that most often, everybody's circumstances are different, but that most often will put people on a path to success. So if they can save roughly 10% of their income, if they can invest that in a reasonable way, which is a different question or conversation, um, saving 10% of your income really is a great simple rule of thumb. If people can get there, most everybody is going to end up on a successful path to retirement. And and, and, and by the way, Bob, just to throw it out there, you know, uh, Kevin's idea of the tool belt millionaire, um, uh, we've done the calculations around that to see what it takes uh, somebody to, to become a millionaire, um, you know, m- making a making a you know modest income over time. 
time, and it doesn't take more than ten percent of your ten percent of your income to get there. Yeah. So it's really a fairly um, a fairly modest you know set of goals that can result in a very substantial you know outcome. I mean, becoming a millionaire. Right. Right. You know, I I love that you you, you can put a number to it because I don't feel like that people hear that that often. And so this concept, you're saving, but what should I save? Am I saving enough? And when there's uncertainty, you really, there is no goal. There's no plan, right? You're just kind of throwing, maybe you throw something at it or you need a a defined target. And I love that, that that you can put a number to it and it it becomes more attainable, right? It feels like you're actually doing something uh, when you can save towards something like that. So I also love the idea that you're, you're, you're paying yourself first. I mean, that was a term I learned uh, early on uh, as a young man working, my father was was good about teaching me about money, and I guess this was his accounting background, but he always said, you want to always pay yourself first. Um, and so if we think of, of that and budgeting to pay ourselves first, but there's also other bills, right? And I think people forget how much money they're spending on other stuff. Um, do you work with people on how to build budgets? And, and, and if so, how do you, you know, how could someone start to build their own personal budget to understand where their money is going? Because I think it's just, it's such a dirty word in some people's minds. Oh, I don't want to do a budget. But what's that exercise look like? How do you kind of talk to people about that? Well, great question. Um, so, so there are, you know, there are multiple, we, we kind of have to talk about rules of thumb here because we're talking to a big audience and everybody's circumstances are going to be different, mm-hmm. you know, but ultimately you want to, you, you, you want to, you want to do everything you can, you know, to keep your fixed expenses, those expenses that, that, that come in, you know, every month, the things like your mortgage, your car payment, your cell phone bill, you know, your car insurance, those things that are those fixed expenses. You want to keep those at about 50% of your income. Um, And then what that does, it leaves you with another 30 to 40% of your money that's discretionary, and it leaves the other 10% for savings. So if you can start to build a budget, and if you can start to make decisions that ultimately result in your fixed expenses really not exceeding about 50% of your income, that usually leaves people enough money for their discretionary expenses, things like, you know, buying a, you know, buying an extra, you know, sweatshirt when you want one and going out to dinner when you want to and going bowling when you want to, you know, all those things that are discretionary that we don't have to do, but we want to do, that usually leaves enough money for those things, Mm -hmm. uh, while at the same time, obviously paying yourself as well you said, you know, leaving money for savings. So I guess that's, um, you know, we, we could say that your mortgage should not be more than 20% of your pay and your car should be more than X. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that I can get into all those details, but I think a good rule of thumb is, you know, 50% of your income to those fixed expenses right. should leave enough money to take care of everything else right. and keep you happy. I like that. I like that. Um, you know, so- you know and, and Bob, I want to step, Bob, I want to step back as yeah. well, if you don't mind. No, I, I think about that 10, saving 10% of the income. Yeah. And I know that sometimes when people hear that, it seems like an overwhelming um, idea that it's like that, that, that we're asking people to climb Mount Everest because <laughs> it just seems like it's an, impo- it's an impossible goal. Sure. So what I would say to people there is I understand that going from zero to 100 or zero to 10 percent is really, really hard. And I don't expect people to do that. Yeah. You know, what I would suggest is, you know, start off by saving three or four percent mm-hmm. and the next year increase that to five and the next year increase that to six. Yeah. And it won't take all that long till, you really, till you've gotten to that point, you know, where you're saving 10%. And, it's, and, it, and it wasn't so difficult in getting there. It's the old idea that, 
inch by inch is a cinch, but a yard is hard. Yeah. You know, so if we can figure out a way to take these steps just one step at a time, uh, that's how we ultimately reach these goals. But we need to have that goal in mind, you know, that we're shooting for. So I didn't mean to jump back no. on that, but I want to, I kind of want to knock down that mountain for people because I feel like some people look at that and it looks like it's unattainable. No, that's a really good point. And, and I want to talk about the incremental. Uh, idea of saving, I definitely am going to revisit in a minute before we get too far because I think there's something we should we should definitely talk about that a bit more um, when we when we get into 401k talks and why how 401ks are great for a lot of reasons, but one of it is it just kind of makes saving mindless. But uh, but before we dig into that, just kind of before I wanted to touch back again on, on consumer credit and and I and I I, I yeah. speed up credit cards sometimes, but I certainly use them. And I, I but the key is to pay them off, right? So people that literally listening to this, maybe young people that are just first getting credit cards, uh, the idea of paying them off, and, and they can do some good things for you. I mean, obviously there's reward programs, but uh, mm-hmm. it helps establish your credit, um, and, and that's critical um, if, if you want to hopefully buy a, a house one day. So uh, maybe talk about how you know being good with credit cards uh, really can help you in the long run in terms of how much you're going to pay for a house. Sure. So I am all in favor of people using credit cards, but like you said, paying the balance off each month. Um, You know, the use of credit cards and the use of credit is good for your credit score. Mm -hmm. And your credit score is critical to everything that you do financially. Absolutely everything. So I can tell you a quick little story. I've got a friend of mine, and he's a wealthy man. And um, so much wealth that he hasn't used a credit card or borrowed money for 10 years. And he went and tried to get an apartment, uh, to rent an apartment for himself and his wife, and they wouldn't let him have an apartment because he no longer had a credit score because he hadn't (laughs) borrowed any money for the last 10 years. And this is a guy literally with millions of dollars, but he didn't have a credit score any longer. And he said, you know, I can pay for the whole annual, you know, rent up front. So, so So the fact is your credit score is important whether or not you've got millions of dollars or not. It's, it's, it's critically important to any financial transaction because it's referenced in, in, in so many different ways. Right. So using credit cards uh, as, as a means to build credit, meaning you spend some money and you demonstrate that you can pay that off each month, right. that demonstrates good behavior, that demonstrates that you're a good credit risk and that you've got discipline. Yeah. So I highly encourage that. The idea of carrying a balance on a credit card just breaks my heart oh. because as you already talked about, the interest rates are just through the roof. Yeah. And, 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 and you know that's what I call having math work against you. Yeah. And what we want to do is we want to, we want to make decisions where math is working for us and not working against us. And when you, when you're carrying a credit card balance, you've literally just got math working against you perpetually. So again, using a credit card in a disciplined fashion is so important. And, and building your credit score, you know, as you as you mentioned, um, if you want to go buy a house, you're going to have a strong credit score. But not only that, if you want to get cell phone service, if you want to get cable TV service, if people do that anymore, I suppose it's all cutting the cord today. Right. Uh, but nearly anything, you know, any sort of meaningful financial transaction, renting an apartment like I talked about, all those things, your credit store score gets referenced. Yep. And if you've got good credit, you typically get better terms, which means you don't pay as much. Yep. You know, so it all starts to compound. If you don't have a good credit score, then they charge you more, and it just compounds your problems. So you really want to do everything you can to get a good score and to protect that score to make sure that you know there's no cyber issues going on and people hacking your credit and so forth, and you can sign up for services that can watch that for you. 
Sure. You know, and, and you're right. The, the compound interest is is a, is is a, an incredible thing, and in how much it can work for you or, or against you, and uh, it just breaks yeah. my heart. I think we all know people that that didn't kind of realize what they were doing at the time, and they just allow they, they just allow themselves to suffer, and it takes years and years to get out of that hole when compound interest works against you. So, uh, yeah, for anyone listening, yeah. please avoid that as best you can. Um, all right, so no more negative, no more negativity. Let's talk about. <laughs> Well, I think it's important when you talk about personal finance, you have to talk about credits and credit cards. It's, it's just a big part of how we uh, interact as a society. Um, so, but yeah, so anyway, so we're saving 10, 10 to 15%. How, you know, obviously you are a huge proponent. I'm a huge proponent of 401ks. Should, should all 10 of that go into a 401k or, or should you diversify somewhat? What, what's your stance on that? My stance is, and, 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 I, and I have to be careful because I'm biased because I'm in the 401k business. So, so, so let's put that on the table. But sure. uh, I absolutely believe that somebody should save uh, as much as they can first in their 401k plan. And I say that for a couple of reasons. Number one, we can talk about how easy it is. It's, it's an automatic process. But when we get to the dollars and cents of it, there are a couple things there. Uh, number one, the tax benefits that you get by putting money into a 401k plan, you just can't get any place else. Mm-hmm. You could also put money into an IRA that accomplishes the same tax goal, but the amount of money you can put into an IRA is only a fraction of the amount of money that you can put into a 401k plan. So I say put the money in the 401k plan, you get all the tax benefits, which means the money you put into the plan, you do not have to pay income tax on that money. That allows you to save money, that allows you to save more money, which allows you to build your nest egg faster and bigger because you don't have to pay taxes on the money going in. And so it's really about two things. It's about the tax benefits and it's about the amount of money that you can save. You know, some people, you know, you ask, should we diversify? And I will say, yes, once the money is in the plan, we want to talk about investment diversification, Mm -hmm. but there's no benefit to, you know, putting $5,000 in the 401k plan and $5,000 in an IRA account and five thousand dollars in a savings account doing that is is not is not creating any value or 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 providing any benefit to somebody loading up your 401k plan first and foremost because of those tax benefits is absolutely the right thing to do support for this podcast comes from reem Brothers Richard and Donald Reem founded Reem Manufacturing Company in Emeryville, California in 1925. The company has produced a number of cutting-edge products in its 89 years of operation. Today, Reem is North America's only manufacturer of HVAC, water heating, pool and spa heating, and commercial refrigeration solutions. For more information, go to reem.com. Welcome back, back to the show. You're listening to my conversation with Mark Patton of Patton Wealth Management. In the first half of our chat, Mark and I talked about the idea of building an emergency fund, how much you should aim to save of your income to eventually retire, and how to budget. In the second half of my conversation with Mark, we'll talk about the specifics of 401k plans. We'll also get a bit more in-depth into other investing options beyond your 401k. And we'll talk about the concept of a magic number, which is how much you really need to retire. So let's jump back into my interview with Mark and hear his great insights. 
the one thing I liked when as a as a young new investor way back when I liked about the four hundred one k is it just it does it for you. If you're not used to saving, say you're used to being a poor kid all the time and you get your first job or if you're listening to this and say you just haven't been a good a good saver and, and this is a new concept boy it just takes it out of your it takes it out of your income for you you don't even have to think about it it does you know and i think actually it, 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 it's automatic yeah i was gonna say i believe it's isn't it standard now mark where uh companies really make their employees opt out of uh the 401k plan right you have to sign something basically right isn't that a newer thing? You do. So, yeah, that's a newer thing. You know, so the, the, the government allowed that, uh, put that legislation in place a decade or so ago, and it's called automatic enrollment, mm-hmm. which means that if you're eligible to be in the plan, your employer will automatically put you into the plan and roll you in the plan so that, so that some of your money is coming out of your paycheck and going into your account. And, 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 and anybody can opt out if they want to, but they basically have to sign a piece of paper that says, Nope, I don't want to save for my retirement. <laughs> and the, the reality is, you know, the reality is that most people don't want to sign that piece of paper. Right. It, it's it's our our human nature works against us in so many different ways. Um, you know, we're we're just we're just not wired well to to have a successful financial outcomes. Quite honestly, and and, and part of that is just our our laziness. Right. Um, you know, so many people want to save. So many people want to be in their four hundred one k plan. But if you make them, you know, have to sign out a sign a piece of paper that says I want to be in, people just don't get around to doing it. So if you automatically enroll them, uh, they can get out if they want to, but most people don't, and uh, and that and that gets them started on their path to retirement. Right. And I like that with the four hundred one k, and you you mentioned it. Uh, earlier, the ability to, okay, once you get used to putting a certain percentage in, okay, maybe when you get a, a raise the next year, you can bump it up a percent. Or, and I think, if I'm, again, I'm not mistaken, there, there are a lot of plans, and I think even the plan you have for us, doesn't it, it, it will automatically bump up a certain percentage if you set it to that, that way to do so, right? Yes, you can set it up to do exactly that. So, for example, you can uh, you can set up the automatic enrollment, and let's say that that starts at 3% of somebody's income, so it's not such a big bite out of their paycheck. Then you can set it up that once a year, it goes up by 1%, and you can put a cap on it of 10%. You know, so if you've got an employee who starts today, and seven years from now, they're going to be saving 10% of their income. It happened one little step at a time over a you know, seven-year window of time, and they are now on a... They're on that tool belt millionaire yeah. path at that point in time, exactly. you know. So, so it, it might take them a few years to get on that exact path, but it's an easy step by step way to do it in an automatic process, like you said. Right. Uh, and, and the one part of, of about four hundred one k we haven't talked about, but a lot of companies are, are very. Uh, they're great in, in doing is matching. Um, so maybe talk about yep. what matches are and, and just how much, you know, what, what kind of, how, how really how foolish you'd be to ignore uh, the 401k match that some companies provide. Well, if, if you're an employee and your employer is providing you with a match in your 401k plan and you're not taking advantage of it, I think you've got to screw loose, quite honestly. <laughs> um, I'm not just being honest with you. Sure. Because it is, it, you know, it, it's free money sitting on the table that your employer is offering to give you, and all you have to do is save for your retirement, which is the right thing for you to be doing, and they're going to give you some free money on top of that. I think you're crazy not to take advantage of it. So, yeah. with that being said, um, you know, a company match is, is, is exactly what it sounds like. It's, it, it's, it's, it's 
Um, it's money that your, your, your employer puts in in addition to what you put in. So it's called a match because your employer is not going to give it to you unless you're putting some of your own money in. Right. So a very common match uh, is, is what's called 50% of the first 6%. Right. It's a pretty simple concept. Right. If the employee uh, puts in uh, 6% of their income, the employer will put in 50% on top of that, so an additional 3%. If, 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 if in that circumstance the employee only puts in 4%, then the employer, the company only puts in 2%. So it's 50% up to six, up that first 6%. So again, uh, you, your company might offer that, offer that match. They might automatically enroll you at 3%, but keep in mind at that point you're not taking full advantage of what your employer is actually offering you. Yeah. So they'll automatically enroll you at 3%, but if you really want to take advantage of all that the company is willing to give you, you need to go tell somebody, I want to be at 6% instead of 3%. Yep. And again, it's like, it's, it's free money. It's money, I mean, it's literally like getting a 50% rate of return on your, on your dollar that you invested, because if you put in a dollar, your employees put in fifty. Your employer put in fifty cents for you on top of that. Yeah. No, I, I'd like I, to get an autom- I'd like to get an automatic fifty percent return on my money. Absolutely. You tell me where that. You tell me where I can go to get that. Anytime. I'll go. I'll, I'll, I'll sign whatever you need me to sign. Sign me up for sure. Uh, that's the- well, it's either it's either a scam, it's either not true, or it's your four hundred one k plan, and it is true. That's right. And so it's the, it's yeah. honestly the best thing out there. Yeah. No, that's that's true. That is true. And and I want to go back to the idea. Of, of compound interest because I think uh, I wish someone I mean I you know I definitely set mine up early on but I I, I, I wish someone would have talked to the 22 year old me and said put more put more put more uh, it, Mark, is there a rule of thumb I always felt like it, it, you're I've heard this rule of thumb if it in, if your money's invested well and the market seems you know it's it's not an 0809 situation uh, does mm-hmm. your money typically double over about 10 12 years if, if what you put into a 401k yeah I actually think that is a relatively conservative expectation now I can't predict the markets. I can't predict returns and where you're going to go tomorrow, but I can tell you historically what they look like. You know, when you look at the stock market historically, um, it has produced about a 10% rate of return year after year after year. Now, there are years when it's been down 30% in the worst years, and there are other times when it's been up, you know, 30 and 40% in a given year. But over time, and that's one thing that everybody who's investing, they need to realize they've got a time to invest. They've got decades ahead of them typically to invest. Even that person that's 40 or 45 years old, they still got decades of time ahead of them. So when you look at the markets historically, the stock market's produced about a 10% rate of return. Now, I would not suggest that somebody put 100% of their money into the stock market necessarily. That's, again, another conversation. But if they did, here's, a, here's, a, here's the simple rule of thumb. There's a, uh, at a 10% rate of return, your money doubles uh, every seven years. Now, you might think that it would take 10 years, but it doesn't take 10 years. You know, 10% for 10 years, you think that would be a double, but that's not because because the first year, your, 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 your $100 goes to $110. That's a 10% rate of return. Then the next year, you get a 10% rate of return, and you've got more than 120 because you're getting a return on your money that, that grew the year before. So it starts to compound, like you said, yep. is that your, your pile grows faster than you're going to think that it might. And in and, 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 and seven years or so, your money doubles. So 
Um, you know, I think a seven to ten year window of time to expect your money to double is a very reasonable thing. Yeah. And if you can, if you think about what that means over the course of a you know, 30 or 40 year career, um, you want to get as much money, like you said, you know, tell the 22 year old me, I wish I would have known this because every dollar you get in there in the early years, it's going to double a couple extra times. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, we, get the better. and we want to double as many times as possible. Yeah, no, that's great. That's good insight. I don't think people think don't I don't think it's many people think about that or know that. And, you know, they're always astonished. Maybe they had a grandfather that had a just kind of a menial job, but he boy he saved every nickel. And and they look at his uh, in, his investment portfolio when he passes. They go, how the hell did he do that? You know, it's <laughs> it's compound interest. You know, it really is. Uh, and and being diligent yeah. in saving and being diligent in saving. Um, you know, you know, Bob. On that topic, just quickly, yeah. I've got three kids, and my middle one <clears throat> just graduated from college last May. And knock on wood, she got a full-time job during the you know COVID and pandemic uh, issue. So I was Great. glad that she got off my payroll and got into somebody <laughs> else's. So that was good. <laughs> sure. But um, uh, you know, one thing that uh, one thing about my middle child is she's been very, very diligent about saving. She actually worked for me kind of during high school, did some work, and she just socked away this money. And she has a you know a, a modest little pool of money. I mean, you know. Twenty twenty five thousand dollars, and you know, and, and she's twenty one or twenty two years old, and and just with that relatively small amount, you, you, if you when, if you have that, you know, to, to, to plunk down, you know, at your early age to save, yeah. the impact of that, um, the, 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 the impact of that has on her uh, retirement in forty five years from now is monstrous. You know, so just getting some of those early dollars in, as many early dollars in as possible, has such a massive impact on the long-term outcome. And quite honestly, she doesn't have to hardly save that much money over the next 40 or 45 years just because she's gotten started with a little chunk of change. You know, so the earlier you can get some of those dollars in there, the bigger the impact it has on your on, on your retirement and, you know, 35, 40 years. Yeah. No, she's going to do great. If she graduated college uh, within the plus side, that's great. I, I think I spent every cent I could <laughs> in those days. I wish I, I wish I was on the plus side when I came out of college, but I certainly wasn't myself. <laughs> no, good for her. That's phenomenal. Um, so, okay, so I have a question. So we, we, we've talked about a lot of, um, you know, getting started and, and, and becoming uh, accustomed to saving and, and being an investor with a 401k. But let's say, you know, let's say I, uh, I started when I was 21 or 20. 22 or I even have, you know 30 or whatever and and I've, I've, I've got say 10% or for, say I've got 15% I'm doing every year in my 401k but I still have money to save because I've, I've just got used to living within my means and I, I have goals that maybe I want to retire early um, mm-hmm. those people that are motivated in that regard what, what do they do what, what would you recommend them to do with their money uh, that you know they don't want to sit in a checking account and basically lose money because of inflation so what, what, what do you how do you advise people like that you bet so number one with your 401k plan, um, anybody who is less than age 50 can put in up to $19,500 of their own money. Mm-hmm. So regardless if it's 10 15%, whatever the number is, sort of doesn't matter. That's a goal. Right. But from a dollars and cents perspective, they can save up to $19,500. If you're beyond, if you're 50 or older, you can put in another $6,500 for a total of $26,000. So if you want to save more money than that, uh, then I would, like I said before, max out your 401k plan first and max out those numbers. But if you've got additional money to save on top of that, um, I, I would, I, I go back to, you know, a principle that's called, you know, KISS, 
keep it, keep it simple, stupid. Um, <laughs> you know, and, very, and I'm very simpler, that in my life. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, so the the simpler you keep it, the more effective it is for you. Mm-hmm. I tell people that I'm in one of those industries that the more you pay, the less you get. <laughs> and you know, most people have a tough time thinking that way. They think the more I pay, I'm going to get something better. Yeah. And that might be the case when you go out and buy a you know a new suit or a new car or whatever it might be. The more you pay, maybe you do get something that is better, right? But in my industry, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. The more you pay for stuff in my industry, the less you get as the consumer. Mm-hmm. So my pointer around all that is there are so many places now, you know, online and so forth. So I would say open up an online brokerage account. And I don't have any particular favorite. I think there are many of them that are good out there. You know, the E-Trades of the World and Charles Schwab and TD Ameritrade and Fidelity and Vanguard. You know, all those are very, very good firms and all their costs are very, very low. Mm-hmm. So you can open up an account there. You can put some money in there. And then the question becomes, you know, once the money goes into the account, and this is the same way in your 401k account, ultimately you've got the responsibility now to make some investment decision. You know, how are you going to invest this money? And um, without getting into too many details, there are things called index funds. Mm-hmm. And anybody listening to us today, they can Google this stuff and the, and the best place to to start would be to go to uh, Vanguard.com, and Vanguard is the, they're the folks that invented the index fund back in the 1970s, and index funds provide diversification, and they do so at extremely low cost. So that would be, you know, so essentially an online brokerage firm, keep those costs low, and then from an investment perspective, consider index funds. Very good. And and as people get older, say I'm, uh, I don't know, say I'm 60 years old and I, I want to retire in a handful of years or so, do you, uh, mm-hmm. what do you recommend people do in terms of risk tolerance or, or shifting what kind of funds I'm investing in? Or, or should I continue mm-hmm. to, to invest and keep it in semi-aggressive funds because uh, I want that income as I get older? I, what, what, what do you tell people? Yeah, so again, We've got to talk in you know broad generalities here because everybody's circumstances are different. Um, you know, a good a, a good rule of thumb is is to is um, is to take your age from a hundred. So if you are so, let, let me give you an example. Let's say that you're forty years old. Mm-hmm. What that means with this rule of thumb is that you should have. of your money in bonds, lower risk things, and 60% of your money in higher risk things. So then as you get older, now let's say you are 65. So now what that would suggest to us is that you should have 65% of your money in the lower risk things and 35% of your money in the higher risk things. So that's really the difference between stocks and bonds. So most people, the rule of thumb is that you want to get more conservative with your investments the older that you get. Now, I have to be honest with you is that I tend to push back on that rule of thumb. So although I just explained it to you, it's not my favorite rule of thumb out there. Sure. Mark, you said you're, you're against that rule of thumb. Why, why is that exactly? You know, because what I find with most people is that most people get too conservative too fast. You know, so they say, okay, here I am. I'm five years away from retirement. I better take all my money out of the risky stuff and put all my money into conservative stuff And because I'm getting ready to retire in five years. And that really is a terrible decision because yeah. even if somebody is 60 or 65 years old, statistically they still have – 
20, 25, 30 years left of life. And their money needs to last them for those multiple decades. So getting too conservative too fast is usually a, a, is is more often what I see. Mm -hmm. And it's a mistake that people make. So I really think that, um, you know, being slightly more aggressive than you might tend to think you should be is probably the best answer. So I would say, you know, keep the accelerator down. Don't push it all the way to the floor. You know, don't go full speed ahead. But you want to keep the throttle down a bit uh, from a risk perspective because you still have a lot of time on your side and you still need your money to grow. Right. That's good. That's good information. Um, you know, when people talk about retirement, you know, uh, and it, it – it seems to come up the older you get, right? Uh, there's always talk of a magic number. What's your magic number? What's a number? Uh, but I, is it, and then it, on the other side, it's like some people go. They think, okay, once I hit 65, I'm just done, right? I, I, I you know, of course, I'm 65. That's when you retire. Um, so how do you talk to people about when they really can financially comfortably retire? What's what's that conversation look like? Yeah. So if somebody wants to retire at age 65 and they've now got 25 years, you know, theoretically in retirement, if they live to an average age of 90, which the average 65 year old lives to the average age of 90, your life expectancy gets longer, the longer you live. So, you know, if you've got 25 years left, um, the general rule of thumb is that you're going to need approximately 20 times your needed income. Hmm. So let's just say that you think that you need $50,000 a year. You think you need to take um, $4,000 a month, let's say, so roughly $50,000 a year, that you need $50,000 a year out of your investments. What that means is you need to have approximately 20 times that saved up. So you need approximately a million dollars if you want to take $50,000 a year out of your portfolio. And so what research and history and math will show us is that each year you can take a little bit more out. You can go from 50000 to, you know, 52000 because inflation goes up every year. And you can take a little bit more out each year. Yeah. And with that rule of thumb, the good news is that rule of thumb suggests to us that you will not run out of money. Yeah. And the last thing you want to do is run out of money uh-huh. during retirement. So a, good, so a good rule of thumb is having somewhere around 20 times what you need from income. Now, let's let's back let's back that off just a little bit. Let's say that you are uh, 65 today, mm-hmm. and you say, "Well, I need that fifty thousand dollars, but I don't have a million dollars set aside." Well, if you think you're going to get, let's say, two thousand dollars a month from Social Security, right? Then you don't need to have as much money out of your investments. Now you only need to take you know two thousand dollars a month out of your investments. So now you only need a half a million dollars. So you need to think about your different income sources. It's probably not all going to come from your investments. Right. But figure out how much money you need from your investments, right. and your investment needs to be about twenty times that. That's really good. That's good insight. And and I, you know, and I think as you get older too, your potentially your your uh, your financial needs change. I mean, hopefully, you, if you have a home that you paid it off, and, and you don't have that mortgage mm-hmm. anymore, and you don't have kids anymore, you gotta worry about. I mean, hopefully, you're just enjoying yourself, and that's what your the bulk of your uh, your your finances go towards. So, but that's good. That's good stuff. I appreciate that, Mark. Um, Super. You talked a lot about kind of self-investing and with Vanguard funds and stuff like that. Do you, so are you, uh, what's, what's your, your thought on, on financial advisors? And, and I know lots of people are for or against and, and then how, how to select a financial advisor. So let's say I've, I've maxed out my 401k and, and I, I, you know, I don't feel comfortable 
trying to, you know, put invest my money myself. So I want to look for someone to kind of hold my hand. What what's your insight on, on looking for the right kind of person to to be to work with you on that? Well, number one, I love financial advisors because I am one. Right? So, <laughs> um, so let's be perfectly clear that sure. I'm biased on this. So sure. with that being said, you know, I think the first thing that you want to do is you want to look for somebody who tells you that they are a fiduciary. Yeah. Uh, that's a, it's, a, it's an important term. It means that they legally have the obligation to give you investment advice that is only in your best interest and not in the advisor's best interest. There are so many things that are in the advisor's best interest and not yours. Mm -hmm. So if you deal with somebody who's a fiduciary, they've got a legal obligation to do what's in your best interest. So that would be number one. You know, number two, I would say you really need to find somebody you can simply talk to. You know, somebody who can talk to you in your language, in your words, in a way that you understand so that they take the, and that they take the time to understand what your needs are. Um, and, if, and if somebody's giving you advice that you don't understand, it's probably not the right advice. Um, so you really, again, need to find somebody who will speak your language in, in, in a way that you're comfortable and can understand. And then, and then the, 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 I guess the last thing is you always want to be conscious of costs. Um, there's some, there's some, you know, good old folks out there who, who might be able to speak to you in, 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 in your language and make you understand and make you feel comfortable. But if they charge you an arm and a leg for it, uh, that's still not the right advisor. Uh, so you really want to be careful about cost because, because if you, if you, if you're not, what you, what you'll find is that the cost could be, could add up to, to, to be a, a large chunk of the amount of money you think you're going to make. I mean, mm-hmm. so there are people out there who might charge, let's say, 2% of your money each year. And you say 2%, that doesn't seem like much. But if you're only going to get an 8% rate of return and you subtract 2, now you're only going to get 6. Yep. You know, so you really have to be careful about those costs as well. So, again, being a fiduciary is important. Uh, dealing with somebody who can speak your language and do so at a fair price. I think those are probably the, you know, the key check marks. There's, you know, there's probably a long list of other things we could talk about, but I think those would be the key, key boxes you really need to check off first. That's great. That's good stuff. Mark, thank you so very much for all, all your time. Just one last question, just kind of wrapping up. Any final advice for people listening, uh, especially if they're new to investing, just in general that you'd like to impart with them? <laughs> um. Yeah, keep it simple, stupid. Um, you know, <laughs> honestly, yeah. uh, the more complicated it gets, the the, 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 the the less benefit it provides to the investor. So, you know, the couple things that I would say is keep your costs low. The way to do that is through the use of index funds. And just so you know, in the SGI pool plan, all we've got are index funds. So we've got the lowest cost funds in there. So if you're looking for funds to invest in outside of a 401k plan, you can use the same funds. Um, So keep your costs low. That's number one. And number two, you want to make sure you diversify. Um, You know, so many people don't do that and they get, they get, they get, they get beaten up when times are tough, and, and, and that's no good because then it throws you off course and you get off your long-term, your long-term goals suffer because of that. So you want to make sure you diversify so you don't get beaten up too bad in the bad times. And, and there are some simple ways to do that through index funds as well. But, again, keep those costs low and diversify. And those two ingredients really are the, really are the ingredients you know, to great long-term investment success. 
I love it. I, yeah, I think when it comes down to it, too, and you agree, it's just don't overcomplicate it. Just just make the little mm-hmm. bit of, of, of effort up front just to set aside some money and then just watch compound interest take over. And, and you can actually retire. It's possible. It's not some crazy thing. I think that's what's in, what's important and, for people here as well. You know, but. You know, Bob, what we talked about earlier, it's about getting that math to work for you and not against you. And, you know, when you've invested your money properly with low cost and you're going to get a great long-term return, that's making that math work for you, that compounding interest working for you instead of with a credit card and working against you. So you're you're spot on about those things. Awesome. Mark, thank you so much again for all your time. I know you've got tons of clients you could be helping, and here it is a Friday afternoon, too. Maybe you could be having a cocktail and finally enjoying yourself after a rough couple weeks. So that's not lost on me. That'll thank, come soon enough. That's right. Thank you so much uh, for all your time and all your insight. My pleasure. All right. Have a good weekend. My thank pleasure, Bob. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. That's Mark Patton from Patton Wealth Management. Thanks for listening to the show. If you feel like you have a great story worth sharing that would also help other contractors, email me at bhouchin at yoursgi.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a rating. And remember, friends give fives. You've been listening to the Successful Contractor Podcast, powered by Success Group International. Support for this podcast brought to you by Bradford White. Bradford White is a full-line manufacturer of residential and commercial water heaters and boilers. While being manufactured and assembled in the USA by American craftspeople, Bradford White's goal is to deliver high-quality, superior products specifically built for the professional contractor. You can always count on the performance and reliability of our built-to-be-the-best products. Visit bradfordwhite.com to learn more. The Successful Contractor Podcast is a part of the Success Group International family. SGI is the largest member-owned best practices organization for independent residential services contractors. SGI provides its members a competitive edge through proven proprietary management tools and expertise, marketing programs, training, and group buying power, along with a highly active and eager-to-help membership. For more information about Success Group International, visit www.yoursgi.com. The Successful Contractor Podcast is a production of the Keyla Investment Group, LLC, All Rights Reserved 2021.